Welcome to this episode of the Insights Podcast on the Huddle Network. I'm Don Mills. And I'm David Campbell. David, we have an exclusive for our listeners, um, an in-depth interview with Andrew Much, the uh, president of Michelin North, North America. Um, this doesn't happen very often. I, I can't remember another time where Michelin have, have provided this kind of access to uh, their company. Um, it's a, you know, a really important story for Nova Scotia. Um, a, a really important company that's been here more than 50 years now. Uh, it's got a great track record. And uh, I think people will really be interested in learning a little bit more about Michelin. Absolutely. I think people don't understand just how unique this company is in Nova Scotia. Number one, they're the second largest exporter uh, behind fish and seafood of any sector tire manufacturing in Nova Scotia. They are the largest private sector employer in Nova Scotia with 3,600 employees. But even more uniquely, uh, through the federal government and other reasons, there's been almost no auto supply chain investment outside of Ontario. Little bit in Quebec. Uh, but the fact that there's a billion dollar supplier to the auto sector in Nova Scotia is just, it's, it's unprecedented. Uh, in uh, in Canada. Now, in the U.S., we've seen auto investment all across the country, uh, but in Canada, it's been in almost exclusively uh, uh, concentrated in that corridor between Windsor and, say, Montreal. And uh, and so the, the fact that we in Nova Scotia have a very large auto supply chain supplier in Nova Scotia is, is incredibly imp- impressive. And one more point that I wanted to make is if you look at the other big manufacturers in Atlantic Canada, almost all of them are based on a natural resource like forest products. This is a, a billion dollar man exporter with it with not based on a local raw material. They import their rubber from around the world. So they're here because they want to be here. They're here because they see uh, Nova Scotia as an ideal location to build product that's exported throughout the North American market. Uh, and I think the listeners are going to be inspired by the story they hear today. Uh, there's many interesting aspects to uh, this conversation with Andrew. One of the ones that I uh, uh, was uh, really interested in is the fact that Michelin chose to locate these manufacturing facilities in more rural-based uh, communities, and they did it purposely because you know they wanted to be an integrated, integral part of those communities. Obviously, they saw the benefit of the work ethic that comes from rural communities, and I think there's a real uh, lesson for other potential manufacturers uh, about where they locate their facilities. They don't have to be in large urban areas. And they've successfully, you know, built their companies in these communities over a really long period of time. Uh, they haven't had any trouble finding labor force, which I found interesting. And of course, uh, uh, you know, their, their tactics about recruitment have changed uh, as most companies have recently. But I think that that's a, that's a really important lesson for other companies thinking about uh, Atlantic Canada in general as a possible location for manufacturing facilities because you get a really, you know, dedicated workforce and uh, you get to integrate into a community and become part of it. So a little story for you, Don. In the late 90s, I was doing economic development for the Department of Economic Development and Tourism in New Brunswick. And we, uh, we bid for a Michelin tire manufacturing plant, the one that ultimately ended up in Oklahoma that uh, Andrew mentions. 
in this oh, really? in this podcast absolutely and we mm-hmm. had put a we had put a financial package on the table of about 23 million they ended up getting over 100 million to go to Oklahoma but we, we could have had a similar not the size of Nova Scotia but certainly a large plant in uh, in New Brunswick uh, if we had been successful attracting that plant but they ended up putting it I think in I think it was the one that went to Oklahoma but that's an interesting sort of backstory here but it does talk to and we did talk very openly with Andrew about the financial incentives that Michelin has received. But the reality is that these plants are getting huge incentives all across North America. And so the question for Michelin is, well, if we don't take it in Nova Scotia and we can get it in Georgia or anywhere else, Oklahoma, you know, so I think that's a question governments have to grapple with is do we want to be competitive when it comes to government support for these plants? So I know a lot of people don't like incentives and subsidies, uh, but the reality is, uh, these plants. I mean, we just saw in Southern Ontario, thirteen billion for for uh, Volkswagen. We saw four billion for Stellantis. So the 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 money that was put on the table in Nova Scotia is chump change compared to what we're seeing in Southern Ontario. Yeah, no, that you know that's uh, that's the uh, that's the process today. Uh, one of the things that I, I think people need to be aware of is that. Uh, uh, even though Michelin got uh, financial support from the federal and provincial governments, they were different types of support. In the case of Nova Scotia, they they gave them tax credits, which means they 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 invest the three hundred million dollars and they get some tax relief over time as a result of that investment. You know that's not a that's not a bad way of doing um, uh, support for these these kinds of uh, projects. And you know we estimate that. Uh, Payroll alone, direct payroll of 3,600 uh, employees based on the average rates that Andrew talked about, are it, it, it's hundreds of millions of dollars a year, all of which is taxed both at the provincial and, and federal level. So, you know, that, those that money gets returned to governments over a period of time. Yeah, and the tax incentives like that that are based against uh, corporate tax they're basically risk-free because you don't get the tax benefit unless you actually make the profits. And then if you make the profits, <laughs> your taxes go down, you know, as a tax credit. So that that's actually risk-free for the taxpayer. But yeah, it's a, I think it's a small part of our conversation today, but I'm glad we uh, addressed it. I'm glad you put it on the question list because I think people want to hear it. Uh, just a, a couple of other points, because I think this is really important. I, I One of the things that Andrew said is that uh, Michelin takes the long view. On every on everything they do, I, you know that's uh, not many companies do that today. Honestly, it's all based on quarterly reports. But this is a publicly traded company, obviously, where you know they're looking for investment all the time. But one of the things he talked about was the all sustainable approach to business, which focuses on people, planet, and profit, and they're all important. And uh, I, I was impressed by uh, what their efforts are to be really a sustainable com- a company for the long term. And uh, and obviously, they're going to play a big role in EVs. Uh, they're developing special tires, which are different than regular tires. Um, and uh, that's an example. He also mentioned one other thing that I thought was interesting. Uh, you know, they're going to they're in there into the development of hydrogen fuel cells, which seems a little out of uh, out of the norm for them. But, you know, they see that, that themselves as playing a role in in improving mobility uh, for humans, I guess. And so I was intrigued by that. That That's probably new information for a lot of people. And it's an example of the innovation of the company that introduced radial tires to the marketplace and was the basis for them, uh, you know, being in a hundred and what, 70 countries or something like that with, 
you know, 130,000 employees. This is a big company, innovative company. Uh, and we, uh, we are, I think, very fortunate to have them in Nova Scotia. Yeah, I'll make one last point, if you don't mind. In, in, we used to say in Fredericton, when the government downsized, uh, the economy actually grew. Because what would happen is the government would lay off or, or early retire a thousand people and they'd all get their pension income. And then the government would turn around and rehire a thousand new people. So you actually grew the economy in Fredericton by reducing or by or by actually having these so-called uh, cuts in the public service. Uh the, the point I'm trying to make is that Michelin has 6,000 active retirees in Nova Scotia, all of them on pension income. They're probably contributing almost as much, if not as much, to the income of Nova Scotia as the employees. Uh, so in these communities uh, where, where, where the company operates, in the three communities where the co- company operates, not only are you have direct employees, but you have all these retirees spending their pension income. Uh, in the community. And I think that's another story, part of the story that, uh, that uh, people will be interested to hear. Yeah. So just one final point, I had the opportunity to present to Andrew and his uh, senior team a couple of years ago, and I challenged them a little bit about, uh, you know, telling their story because it was an important story. Um, and uh, I, I'm really grateful that uh, Andrew joined us today. I think our listeners will get a lot out of this conversation. It's it's quite uh it's quite a story. And, and so without further uh, ado, here's our conversation with Andrew Much. We are joined on today's Insights podcast by Andrew Much, uh, the president of Michelin North America, Canada. Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Don. It's a real pleasure for me to be here this morning with you. So Michelin is the second largest tire company in the world after Japan, Japan-based Bridgestone. Michelin was founded by two brothers way back in 1870 and is a publicly traded company. Can you tell us how big the company is today in terms of revenue and employment and its sort of global footprint? Sure, sure. Thanks, David. It's um, Well, we're headquartered in uh, Clermont-Ferrand in, in France. Um, Michelin today is president, present in uh, 175 different countries. We have 132,000 employees uh, around the world. And we operate 67 different uh, facilities around the world, producing close to 200 million tires in 2022. So a fairly large presence, as you as you pointed out. I understand that you were born and brought up in the Maritimes. Can you tell us, uh, our listeners a little bit about your career path and how you ended up in your current role with Michelin? Sure, David. I'd be happy to. It's uh, yeah. I'm a I'm from PEI, farm boy from east of Charlottetown, ten to fifteen kilometers in a little village called Mount Melick. I think it totaled sixty people. Um, went to school at UPEI and then over to UNB to finish my engineering degree, and then and then I came right to Michelin. Uh, right from there, I I wanted an international company that had a, a maritime presence, and Michelin certainly um, offered that to me. So I started in our picto plant and worked in industrial engineering roles in that facility and, and in corporate roles in, in that role as well. And then, uh, and then I moved to our facility in Oklahoma. We have a very large facility there in the southern Oklahoma, and I worked down there for seven years in different engineering and management roles there. And then uh, I came back again to the Maritimes and worked in the Picto plant for a while in management um, production roles and then transferred to our Waterville site and worked in the uh, human resources uh, role there. I was the uh, I was a manager of HR for uh, that facility, so a complete uh, career shift at that point in time. 
I evolved from there to the um, HR manager for Canada, including marketing and sales. And then I, I took an interesting role, a very valuable role for me. I was uh, responsible for the strategy for our 10 passenger and light truck plants in North America. And that, that role was based out of South Carolina. And I learned a great deal about how the company makes decisions about investments and strategies and things like that. So that was very insightful. And I got to work at a world level to understand the different dynamics of North America, South America, Europe and Asia and all the, how, how our company works and how it all comes together. So that was really, really valuable for me to spend that time. And then I came back to Nova Scotia again. Uh, pleasure to be back again. And uh, I uh, took on the responsibility of our tire operations in our Picto facility. And I also took the, um, the uh, plant manager's role for the Bridgewater facility. And uh, I, I did that role uh, up until May of last year. And that I turned over the the Bridgewater facility to another another manager, Rita Casey, and um, and then I uh, I got the the president's role in 2019. I took on that role in addition to the other roles I had, and uh, I've carried that uh, carried that to the present day. So. Andrew, our listeners would be interested in the history of Michelin in um, in Nova Scotia. Can you take us back to the early days and kind of how? How it's evolved, you know, just recently celebrated its 50th anniversary. I think it was two years ago, right? Yeah. Um, can you can you can you tell us a little bit about the history of Michelin in Nova Scotia? Well, if I could take you back a little further than that, I'd, I'd like to take you back to the the two brothers that actually started the company in 1870, and, and yeah, they sure. had a they had a um, uh, wonderful story where they they had a little shop, little um, mechanical shop. And a person came in that needed a bicycle tire fixed. And they said, well, we'll, we'll do our best to help you because they were in a race and they wanted to, they wanted to, uh, to do as, as well as they can, of course. And in that, in that journey of getting that bicycle tire fixed, they learned a great deal of the limitations that the tires had and because they had to demount it. They had to get the, it was a, it was a uh, rigid tire at the time and they had to demount it and they had to re-glue it and put it back on the rim again. And that took, that took 12 hours to cure. And uh, they worked with the, with the bicycle owner to, to that evening and got it all so it'd be cured up for the next morning. And the next morning they took it out for a test drive and didn't it, didn't it go flat again on them? It, it came off and unglued and things like that. So they recognized that there was a a, a real problem with with the way tires were were designed and and, it, and we needed a better way forward so they started to work on on that together and to solve that problem and to give people a better way forward to give people better mobility and from that that concept of focusing on what our customers really need and how we can advance mobility our company really started to grow and and to develop from that um, and then, and then, if you look at where we evolved to after that, well, one of the most significant things is that we we created the developed the radial tire, which is a revolutionary tire in the in the industry, and it had very different performance characteristics. It really it really was a significant gap from the old bias ply tires, if anybody remembers those. And our our leader at the time was Francois Michelin when he uh, when that that, uh, that innovation occurred. And he recognized that this is a product that he could go worldwide with and he could really take his company to a whole different level. But to do that, he needed to have a North American presence. And um, so we started to look for how could he set up operations here in North America and start to penetrate this, this market. 
And there was a, at the same time, Nova Scotia, the business, business people of Nova Scotia were recognizing the need for uh, Nova Scotia to expand its economy. And, and they saw manufacturing as a real value to, to be that constant engine. You know, we had fishing farming and forestry, and those are commodities, and those go up and down and very, can be quite cyclical. And they recognized the value of, of establishing a manufacturing presence. So they were actively looking to attract a company to come to Nova Scotia and set up its operations. So um, this consortium of business partners uh, uh, hired a person called Robert Manouge. And it's a wonderful story. It's actually on, uh, on YouTube if you want to watch it. And uh, Robert was, through fortuitous events, was able to establish a relationship with um, with Francois Michelin through letters and a visit to France and um, and through the through those dialogues they determined that there was certainly an interest to explore Nova Scotia. So in 1969 and 60, uh, 68 and 69, the, um, the Michelin Group and Francois Michelin himself uh, explored what it would mean to come to Nova Scotia and. And so they made a decision that uh, Nova Scotia would be the place to be at that point in time. And that would be the start of our operations here in North America. So it's, it's kind of cool that he, he chose Nova Scotia as the place to, to, uh, to uh, start the, the North American venture. Yeah, that's a, that's a great story. Uh, and uh, of course, 50 years later, here we are. Um, you mentioned that, uh, that Michelin, um, has been in, has been very innovative in its uh, in its uh, uh, development of tires, the radial tire being one. But uh, there are other innovations that the company's uh, known for. Can you give us some examples of the kinds of things that uh, have advanced tires uh, uh, from Michelin's point of view? Yeah, sure. The the um, uh, you know innovation is is really at the heart of our company, and we're considered one of the most innovative companies in the world by by others. Um, and, and innovations can be large or innovations can be small. Uh, when you think of some of the, some of the work we did to, to put, um, uh, the space shuttle the tires in the space shuttle and all the demands that, that, uh, those tires are exposed to was a, was a breakthrough for us on the earth mover side, developing the size tires that the world needed to mine. And some of these huge mines around the world was also innovations that we, we, we brought to the marketplace as well. And and the durability of those, because those are exposed to extreme durabilities. The, the most recent innovations that we have are innovations regarding the technologies for, for uh, electric vehicles and very low rolling resistance tires. Tires represent a fairly significant um, uh, attribute or characteristic in, in the mileage that vehicles get, whether you're talking about a passenger tire or you're talking about a commercial truck tire. They play a significant role, and they're also one of the most cost-effective ways that commercial trucks can improve their fuel economy. So, you know, you can change your engines, you can change your, your drivetrains and things like that, but that's very expensive. But tires represent a significant part of that, uh, that, that progress that can be made by, by, by vehicles. So we've been investing heavily in, in research and development on ways that we can meet all the other performance characteristics that are needed by our tires but also to extend their range and their, and their fuel efficiency of those tires. So we've been adapting our materials and adapting our processes 
to understand how we can contribute to the, the greening of this world and the, and the reduction of uh, greenhouse gases and things like that. So those have been some of the more recent um, evolutions of, of our innovations. We're also working uh, with, in partnership with other companies uh, to develop hydrogen fuel cells and bring innovation uh, on that side of it as well. So we're, we're growing and, and we're, we're continuing to be innovative. Here in Nova Scotia, uh, we, are, we are also quite well known and a reputation around the world for, for our innovation, just, just the little innovations that would happen every day in our plant. Um, and I think that's something special that we've been able to establish as a reputation across our, com our company of, of, um, of a mindset towards innovation and, and advancing technologies, not just for us, but sharing those technologies with, with the rest of our facilities around the world. So, uh, yeah, innovation's really, Don, it's a great question because innovation's really at the heart of, of, of what, we, what we do. And, and people are, our people are wonderfully innovative, and that's, that's uh, it's part of our strengths. I just want to follow up on something you mentioned because we've uh, recently done a few uh, programs on hydrogen. I'm, I'm actually surprised that you're doing hydrogen uh, fuel cells. So that seems kind of uh, a bit of a departure from tires. How did that? How did that come about? Yeah, it's a good, great question, and it is a departure from tires. It's it's a um, we have a strategy that um, we want to, our, our purpose is to give people a better way forward, give people a better mobility and, and, uh, and, uh, and, to, and to provide solutions for the world to be able to do that. And um, so, and we're also working with tires, around tires, to so support around the tires and then beyond tires. So we're expanding our, our, our strategy to include more ways that we can contribute to to society and and uh, and to our planet because we we have that all sustainable strategy that you may have heard of and and we want to we want to take the innovation capabilities that we have and the technologies that we have and and uh, and and provide solutions to to uh, consumers around the world so that's part of that evolution very interesting um, you mentioned that uh, that you produce uh space shuttle tires but and, and obviously you do a variety of tires uh, in, at Michelin but be interested in the kind of tires that are being produced in Nova Scotia are they for a specific uh, part of the market yeah yeah the, we have uh, our our plants here produce passenger and light truck tires for uh, you know cars and, and light trucks uh, we also produce commercial truck tractor and trailer tires and earth mover tires, so uh, small earth mover tires. And, um, and that's pretty much our portfolio here in our, our three plants. Um, one unique feature is we do make uh, most of the XI Snow, Michelin XI Snow winter tires for the, for the North American marketplace here in Nova Scotia. <laughs> I guess that makes sense. Uh, David mentioned to me earlier that uh, he was looking at exports and tires are a big part of the Nova Scotia export market. Uh, yeah. David, I think you said $1.2 billion in 2022, something like that. And, um, you know, it's a big part of exports uh, coming out of, of uh, Nova Scotia. So, uh, you know, we talk about the importance of exports uh, for our economy. And uh, I just wanted to mention that as, uh, as an important uh, part of what's going on in Nova Scotia. 
Yeah, Andrew, it's one of those weird things about the data that, that even though there's one firm, we still get this uh, export numbers, so international export numbers for tire manufacturing. So unless there's other tire manufacturers in Nova Scotia, that must be you. It's the same with the Irving uh, uh, oil refining plant uh, in St. John. We get right down to the penny, the export values, at least as calculated by uh, uh, Canada Customs at the border. So that's, that's kind of interesting. But we do want to expose people today to the size and scope of your company in Nova Scotia. Uh, I believe, at least in the data that I've seen, you are the largest private sector employer in Nova Scotia. Can you tell us how many people currently are employed at your plants uh, in the province? Sure, sure. So across Canada, we have about 4,000 employees, including our operations up in Quebec and uh, and then our marketing and sales across the across the country. Here in here in Nova Scotia, we have about 3,600 employees uh, at our three facilities. Um, and so that's, that's, that's our presence and spread mostly evenly across the three of them. Uh, and, uh, and that's our presence. We, our presence extends beyond that and something that we're very proud of because Don, as you mentioned, the, the 50 years we've been here, um, we also have 6,000 retirees, uh, in the province. So, um, the active retirees that is. And so it's, um, uh, we're, we're very proud of the, of the contribution we make to the to the economy here and, and the presence that we have here and and uh, it's something we're we're glad to be able, glad to be a part of. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your wages. How would the average wage in your plants compare to the other wages in the community? Let's say the the median wage in the community. Yeah, the um, we we look at it nationally and we set our wages nationally uh, and that's how we determine what we want to our remuneration policy. So. Um, our production wage rates, uh, they start, our starting rates are about $26 an hour, and that's where people would start, and then they go up um, according to your, your competencies and your skills and your jobs that you have and the years of service and things like that. And our technical rates start over $30, $30 an hour and, and uh, progress over $40 an hour. So those are, of course, we're adapting this all the time. Uh, we're in a period of uh, higher inflation now, and we want to make sure that we're offering good, solid, uh, competitive rates, uh, pay rates. And we also, we also uh, provide a, a, a very good, very solid benefits program as well. So that's not including the benefits. That's, those are just the, the, you know, the, the rates with premiums and things like that. But those are the base rates that we have. So, uh, and we, as I say, we monitor that and we're, we're constantly making sure that we're offering our employees a competitive, a competitive salary that they can, they can, uh, they can, you know, build a good family life and build their communities and keep them strong. We're trying to get a sense of your economic impact in Nova Scotia. Have you ever done a study estimating that, or can you give us a sense of what your supply chain spending would be in Atlantic Canada on an annual basis? Mm, good question. We don't, I don't honestly don't track it at the Atlantic Canada level. Um, uh, we know uh, that we have a significant, I track it at the Canadian level and, and we have a significant amount of suppliers significant north of well north of 500 different suppliers that uh, that provide materials or supplies to us across across the country and uh and of course those are those are significant suppliers as well so we have um uh and and and, and so our, our monetary i can't answer the question on how much money we put in the atlantic canada because i simply don't track it that way but it's it's significant at a canadian level i can tell you that where does the rubber come from well, different places. Uh, we have synthetic rubber that uh, that we import from. Um, some of it's going to come from Europe, and some of it's going to come from 
the U.S. and other other locations like that. And then we have natural rubber that'll come from Southeast Asia and things like that. So our supply chains are worldwide supply chains. They are global for sure. And um, uh, so our, our products come from from all over, really. And we have chemicals that come from the U.S. and Canada and uh, and uh, carbon black and things like that that come from both U.S. and Canada and, and even even international. And even with that international supply chain, uh, the your plants in Nova Scotia are competitive. Oh yeah, yeah. They actually we uh, the um, one of the strengths that I mentioned earlier, innovation uh, that our that our plants demonstrate allows us to be to be competitive at a global level, and um, and we're continuing to strengthen that, and and uh, and so. Uh, the supply chains. Every, everybody is, is in the entire industry is going to have international supply chains. That's that's pretty natural. So now it's a matter of how do you what, what is your ability to convert those those materials into a useful product for our consumers. And and um, we we have uh, we have a good situation here in terms of our competitiveness. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to uh, ask you about the decision to uh, locate your three plants in Nova Scotia in rural. Uh, communities. Um, uh, obviously, that there was must have been a rationale behind that decision. It's uh, you know there's always issues uh, related to labor supply and other uh, you know transportation issues. Uh, what was the rationale behind that decision, Andrew? Yeah, great question. It's as I mentioned when Francois Michelin was looking for a place to set up his his um, his operations here in North America. He found very similar attributes in Nova Scotia to those that he found most effective in, in France. Uh, smaller communities that, that have a good solid roots, that have good people that, that, uh, that uh, understand what, a, what a, a good day's work is all about. With strong capabilities, we had a strong educational system. We had strong shipping routes, uh, a forward-thinking government, and I, I mentioned educational. We had good solid school systems, and that, that helps as well. And and then the dedicated and, and qualified workforce is what what uh, what brought them here. I think the sense of community is important to us because we we see ourselves as a as a community based company. And um, so when you look at France uh, and other places that uh, when we originally setting up our company, there's there they were in rural areas, right? And and that provides a continuity. It provides an infrastructure. It provides a partnership with those communities. Um, you know, Francois Michelin didn't set up plants in Paris. Uh, that's not what. That's not the relationship. That's not the stable force and that 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 uh, symbiotic relationship that. I think it's a really important lesson uh, for other companies. You know, manufacturing is uh, is uh, something that we could use a lot more of in Atlantic Canada. So I think that that's interesting. That uh, the philosophy is that it's. You know that it's uh, actually to some extent beneficial to work in uh, in rural communities. But I wanted to ask you also, given the labor challenges faced by most companies today, uh, how difficult is it for Michelin to recruit the workers needed in communities where you're located? Because a lot of those communities, at least until recently, as you know, have not been growing their population. They've been aging, so it, it's kind of a double whammy, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is done. And, and just like many companies, we've had to adapt our recruiting approaches and reach out to people looking for a new career in other ways. We've had to expand the perimeter by which we'd recruit. 
and actually change the way we we approach people and the way we connect with people as well. And we're in a more digital world, and, and just putting an ad in the local newspaper is is not necessarily what's going to work today. It may have worked 30 years ago, but it's it's not going to work today. It, it's it, it works to some degree, but it doesn't tap into mm -hmm. all the population that you wanted. I want to tap into. So we've had to adapt our uh, the way that we recruit and the way that we attract people to our companies. Um, it's uh, it was a bit of a learning process for us, and especially during the pandemic. After you after we came out of the pandemic, and Nova Scotia was seeing levels of unemployment um, as a as a um, all time record in some in some cases, or, or certainly in the last twenty or thirty years, and that made it more challenging. Um, you know, some of the best ambassadors we have for our company is our employees and, and nothing travels as well as word of mouth and, and people sharing that, hey, we have open jobs and, and uh, brothers and sisters and cousins and relatives and neighbors and things like that also helps us as, as well. So the good news is we were able to adapt and um, we were able to change our approaches and, and connect with people in the ways that they needed to be connected with. Uh, we had career fairs and which brought people in as well. And, uh, and today we are fully staffed in all of our facilities and uh, we have a, a good, good flow of applications. So we're continuing that. I think, Don, you, 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 know, you talked long about the fact that we have to improve our productivity as well because we mm -hmm. can't just rely on this, this, uh, the, you know, the high populations of available workforce all the time. And we are an aging population. You know, I saw that we're, what, I think it's four to one ratio of, of working people to retirees, and that's going to drop to two to one very, you know, in the short term. So we're going to have to improve our productivity and advance, uh, advance our productivity and invest in advanced manufacturing and digital 4.0 and all those things that, that uh, we need to do to improve our productivity, while at the same time making sure that we're competitive and, and offering people competitive wages and things. So it's, it's a real balance, but I think it's, a, it's an ongoing challenge that all companies are going to face. I just want to also make a make a note that uh, the presence of Michelin uh, has helped the communities in which you operate in terms of attracting people to those areas. If you look at uh, Bridgewater as an example, over the last 10 years, it's uh, one of the fastest growing uh, communities uh, in the province. Uh, and I think that that at least is in, in part due to the role that Michelin plays in providing a stable economic environment. So, you know, it works both ways, doesn't it? Yeah, it really is. It, it really is. It's a symbiotic relationship for sure. It's um, it's uh, and that's the win win that we seek. You know, that's that's mm -hmm. the relationship that we want to have with our communities so that um, when when our communities are strong, Michelin is strong. And when Michelin is strong, maybe our communities can be strong, too. And that's that's what we look to look to achieve. Yeah, for sure. Don. Just one, one other point on the labor side, because I know. Almost every organization is faced with the same reality. They have an aging workforce normally. Um, you know, there's a there's the baby boomer going through the labor force that is reaching age of retirement. You must have a higher number of retirees probably uh, coming over the next few years than normal. Uh, are, are there any special initiatives that you're taking to deal with that problem? Um. Well, we have it, it, it. It's kind of our three different our three plants are in different stages, of course, too, and mm -hmm. so we have different levels of of retiree um, uh, rates and things like that according to where things are going. Um, I, I, I think the automation, and as I mentioned earlier, we have to improve our we have to improve our productivity and our competitiveness. So we're investing in that to advance that as well. 
I think we also have to look and work with our partners in our communities to say, how can we, how can we do a couple of things? How can we increase the people who are able to work in, in our workplace? What can we do to uh, help our communities to advance on, on childcare and, and those kind of things? How can we help our communities to embrace and open their, open their doors to immigration? Because uh, our, our, our provincial government here has a, has a goal to double our population by 2060 and increase significantly the rates of, of immigration. Well, that's only going to be valuable if we're able to keep those that, that immigration in our local and rural communities. And that's not always easy. They need to be able to find a home. And so we need to help to create that, that, uh, that dynamic of, hey, this is my new home and I want to stay here. I don't want to, this is not just a pass through to go to Montreal or, or Toronto. This is a place that I can live and I can raise my family and I can be happy. So, you know, we need to, we need to help our, our communities to, to develop that infrastructure and that mindset of, of accepting and embracing the immigration that we're going to need to be successful as a as a as, a, as an economy. Andrew, recently your company made a, gave Nova Scotia a real vote of confidence when it announced a three hundred million dollar expansion of your operations in the province. A very very exciting opportunity and investment for the future. Can you tell us a little bit about that expansion plan and and what's the purpose of those, that new money? Yeah, uh, thanks, David. I, it was a real thrill to be able to um, to make that uh, announcement and and to and to share that with our employees and and the and the province at wide because it, it really is a win for for everybody that was involved in, in attracting this kind of investment. Yeah. So the um, uh, just a little bit of context. Um, the automotive industry, the automotive sector, is going through one of the largest revolutions that. Um, and transitions that we've seen in probably its history in many ways, right? Um, the speed at which the electrification of the fleet is happening is every year we predict, well, this is a, this is a rate that this is going to happen. And guess what? Every year we're wrong. <laughs> it's happening. It's happening faster. And, um, and so that acceleration is really important that we, we keep up with the marketplace. If, if you're not moving with, where the marketplace is going or leading that movement in that marketplace, you run the risk of being a victim of that marketplace. And we sure don't want to be there. So this, this uh, investment uh, allows us to keep pace and advance uh, ourselves for that, for that marketplace. So it's going to help us to transform our Canadian factories to meet the, the, the evolving business and strategic needs to increase our capacity for key market segments that are that are showing themselves in the marketplace, including EVs, you know, electric vehicles, and also improving our factory's environmental footprint. So it, it does both of those things at the same time. Uh, so um, on the EV side, we're going to be investing uh, in equipment and processes for the manufacturing of, of tires for that EV segment. Because when you're in, when you're making tires for an EV, it's not exactly the same tire requirements as it would be for an internal combustion engine. There's extra weight that you have to be able to compensate for, which the tires need to be able to, to handle that extra weight. There's extra torque in an EV. So the, the tires have to be able to, to manage that torque and sustain that torque. And it has to have greater uh, improved rolling resistance. Uh, because in an EV vehicle now, you, you, ha you have what you call range anxiety. So how far can I go on this, this charge? So, so, so people have this range anxiety, 
and our tires, we have to build in the technologies that will allow to people to extend that range and and uh, and be able to to um, to drive further distances in between charges. So that means that our equipment has to change, um, and to to adapt to that, to adapt to the new R and D technologies that we we need to build into tires. In addition to that, uh, there's a continued evolution to larger rim sizes for passenger and light truck vehicles. Um, and we have to evolve to that as well. And then we, we also, uh, while we're doing all of this, we want to improve the safety and ergonomics for the people, you know, that, uh, that are building these tires and making these tires. So uh, there's, there's all those things that we have to do. On the commercial side, we're, we're implementing uh, the same thing. Where we're on the commercial side, there's there we're not quite as at the speed of electric vehicles there, but we still need to um, implement technologies that will allow for better fuel efficiency of the commercial trucks. And part of this is also bringing that technology into our plants too, and expanding the capacity that we're able to make to reduce the carbon emissions of those of those commercial vehicles and and reduce the uh, greenhouse gas. Um, emissions. So the government provided you some support to uh, to enable that expansion. We know we're seeing massive investments by government in the U.S., uh, a very competitive environment in places like Georgia. There's billions of dollars being invested in the auto sector and in the supply chain. And so the federal government here and the provincial government uh, has made a decision to, to compete with these U.S. Uh, jurisdictions. The feds, uh, we understand, contributed around $44 million through its Strategic Innovation Fund, yeah. and the province of Nova Scotia is somewhere around $61 million as a capital investment tax credit. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about this, this government of uh, financial support? There's been quite a bit of criticism, maybe a little bit of um, not understanding the competitive landscape that you face as a company in terms of these investment decisions. So can you tell us a little bit about the role of this public funding uh, and maybe the difference between the federal money and the provincial money, if you could. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, absolutely. So we're we're really, and I, I'm, I was very impressed at how how the federal, the, the municipal governments, the the provincial governments, and the federal governments all work together to create, uh, and are continue to work together to create a a business climate that can attract this kind of this kind of investment. Um, uh, as, as you mentioned, there's the, the U.S. has the Inflation Reduction Act, and they are really trying to revolutionize the automotive sector in, in the U.S. That there's a lot of money that's being poured in down there. And, and rightly so. We need to move. We need to move fast. Um, certainly on the federal government side here, you can see the kind of programs that they're developing to counteract that. Because are we going to just let that go to the U.S. and, and let those operations be set up down there? Or do we want to actually compete and have the manufacturing base here in Canada? And I think the decision is that we need a manufacturing base here in Canada for our future. And and so so that the programs that the government is putting together here, both federal and provincial government that are putting together here, helps to, to balance that, uh, that, that equation a little bit. Of course, with any with any company uh, that that's going to be around at any time, uh, you know you need to seek positive returns for those investments, and and that's always a balance for any company that's going to be that's going to be deciding making decisions about where to invest. So um, that 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 counterbalance is important strategically, not not just for us here in, in Nova Scotia, but I think federally. And you can see in Ontario, there was a significant announcements there and, and Quebec, significant announcements on the automotive sector. And uh, we're very, very pleased to see that. 
and equally we're pleased to see that we're able to to attract those investments here in in Nova Scotia so to, to provide that support that that uh, that allow for for these decisions to be made so just Andrew, sorry, couple, just, sorry, Andrew. Just the, the the provincial one. It says it's a capital investment tax credit. Does that go against taxes paid, or what does that mean? A capital investment tax credit. Ah, uh, great question. Yeah. So you have to spend the money, and you have to be profitable, and then that is a, a, a tax credit against the the taxes that you would pay. Yeah. Thanks. So it's an offset to that. So very important that that Michelin will be investing three hundred million dollars because people people get lost in that sometimes. No, we are investing three hundred million dollars. And then when you do that, you 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 gain tax credits that, that allow you to uh, to reduce the amount of taxes that you pay for that a period of time. Anyway, yeah. Andrew, I had the opportunity to present to you and your senior management group a couple of years back, and I remember one of the things I was uh, talking about that at that time is the role that companies like Michelin can play in economic development. Um, and one of the things I we, I we referenced at that point was the the supply chain uh, is there is the way to leverage the supply chain. Obviously, you you import a lot of supplies to Nova Scotia, and and um, maybe you can tell us a little bit about the types of uh, supplies that you do uh, bring into Nova Scotia. But uh, really, is there any opportunity looking at your suppliers? to maybe work with uh, local economic development people to see if they might want to locate closer to your plants, given the, maybe the size of the contracts that they hold with uh, Michelin. Is there any, any possibility yeah. there? That's, that's a really great question. Of course, many of the supplies that we get, such as chemicals, materials, synthetic and natural rubber and things, things of that mm. nature, we're not going to end up setting up a, uh, a natural rubber plantation here in Nova Scotia, not, not no. at this point anyway. So those are things that are going to have to be imported. But, but Don, I think your, your question is an interesting one in the fact that our company has a commitment to a, a net zero tire. So it's 100% sustainability. And that means that all the materials that go into that tire are going to be from a biosustainable source. So that opens up the opportunity to evolve from the traditional uh, suppliers that we have and, and ways that we, we make our product into whole different ways of, of making a product. And there's amazing things that are going on in the research and development of how do you turn, how do you turn wood cellulose, i.e. waste wood products, into, into materials that can be used in tires. There's some very, very interesting things that are happening on that side. Uh, and, and, and polymers that, that you can develop from, from biomass and other, other things. And there's other ways that you can, you can create now the products that we need for our tires. And some of those innovations are, are coming, coming to fruition. Um, we have, we have um, processes in the world, and I'm not saying we, Michelin, I mean, but there's processes in the world that can take uh, waste tires, end-of-life tires, and, and extract some of the base chemicals and products back out of those that we can rebuild into our tires. Um, and reuse some of the, 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 the materials back into our tires, and, and, and we're doing that today. And so some of our tires that we're making today can, can, taste, can contain recycled materials, and, and they actually can be used as a performance advantage. So, so I think the question is, the world is evolving very, 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 very rapidly. New technologies are coming on stream very quickly, and I look forward to the day that we can we can have um, more local suppliers of more biosustainable materials 
that can that can uh, that can that can that can provide products to us. And I and I think that's that's certainly that's certainly the case. And I think the government uh, is trying to promote this as a as a as a good place to for businesses to set up and so i uh, our, our we'll do whatever we can do to help the help companies like that to to set up operations here in the maritimes and and hopefully those opportunities will come someday uh, michelin uses an all sustainable approach to this business i understand uh, uh what do you mean by that yeah, thank you for the question. It's it's um, yeah, you know the, when when Michelin stepped back and looked at the world and saw that the world is is changing, and we need to we need to change with it. Um, we need to have a we need to be making our decisions about a long term strategy. We play the long game. Michelin has always been known to to not make the quarterly decisions. We really try to play the long game and see where the world is heading. And and what what our leadership. And in their reflection said, well, we really need uh, a, a, an all sustainable strategy is what they call it. And that is for every decision that will be made, it'll be a balance of the of the human factors, the economic factors and the environmental factors. And so we call that our people, planet, profit strategy. And on the people side, it's people are one of our fundamental people is, is, is one of our fundamental values, whether it's the growth and fulfillment of our employees our customers that depend on us, the, the safety of our products, our employees' safety and their health in, in, our, in our facilities. All those factors are important ones to balance as we're making our decisions. And, and how do we ensure that, that we're making decisions against that, that factor? On the, on, the, on the profit side, well, we have to be competitive. We have to be making the right investments. We have to be advancing ourselves with the right innovations so that we can meet the challenges of the future and have and can redirect that profit into the investments that we're going to need for things like our planet. We, 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 we as a world cannot continue to consume at the rate and the way that we're consuming our Earth's resources today. So we have to be able to adapt. We have to be able to change our approach to the planet. We have to live in a, in a harmonious way with our planet. And we have to have all those solutions to be able to do that. So in every, and that's talking about greenhouse gases, that's talking about water uses, that's usage, that's talking about all the different factors of how do we have a sustainable operations here. So every decision that the company is making now, and this is, this is sincere, I see this in real life, that we're going to weigh out those three factors and say, how do we make sure that what we're doing today and 20 years time will make perfect sense and it'll be compatible with, with a net zero, net, our net zero ambitions and our, and our long-term balance that we need to find both in the social side on the economic side and on the planet side so that's that's what the all sustainable strategy is all about it's actually very very clear to me and it's very compelling for me because i it, you, you know you can see how you can fit into all, all of those factors and i think it's it's a, it's a valuable way to express our, our strategy andrew other than the communities you're, you're operating in in nova scotia we feel you've probably flown a bit under the radar in the rest of nova scotia in terms of your economic impact I'm not even sure that uh, Don realized you were a billion-dollar uh, exporter uh, when I told him that this morning, or the largest employer, private sector employer uh, in Nova Scotia. Um, I guess that's kind of normal, right? Most of your markets are outside Nova Scotia, so there's not a lot of need necessarily to market what you're doing in the province. But do you think the that sort of under-the-radar approach is has served the company well? And as you look to the future, should you be promoting a little bit more and sort of telling your your story to Nova Scotians? 
Yeah. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And and uh, and Don's asked me this question before and, and been provocative to me before that we really need to um, expose ourselves and be more open and and because um, there's value there's value to doing that. It's it's Michelin values humility and uh, right from the right from the founding fathers uh, one of the one of the attributes of of leadership at Michelin is that humility and uh, so it's really not in our DNA to be self-promotional and I say that with with uh, with sincerity it's it's we try to seek the win-win relationships uh, and 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 play a longer game than than self-promotion can be. But it's um, a little bit about our DNA. I had the wonderful, we had the wonderful pleasure this this early this year to have one of the Michelin family, Damien Michelin, in Nova Scotia, and he, we were doing an exploration of our history and our, our values as a company, and uh, of course, being one of the Michelin family, he's got some pretty good insight to, and the stories of how our, our values come to life today and how they came to life and, and kept us as a company thriving for 130 years. And, um, you know, when I, when I was thinking about, thinking about his visit, he's, he's a very humble, quiet, unimposing kind of guy. And that's, and that comes from the Michelin family. So we're still influenced by that culture and we, and we tend to be, we tend to react in that way. And, uh, and I think, I think those attributes shape our culture, who we are. Uh, that's not to say that we shouldn't be more open. We we can't just we can't just be be so quiet because I think there's great value to us uh, when we share what's going on inside of Michelin because then that opens the door for conversations with other places that are doing some great things and we can learn and through that sharing we can we can grow and we can build synergies and things like that and we can learn from others by being more open and more transparent with one of some of the things that are that are happening. So. You know, I, I don't want to say what we did in the past was wrong because, you know, it is what it is. It's it's who we are and we're being true to who we are. And uh, now going forward, um, I think I think we can be a little bit more open. And quite honestly, being here with you today is 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 uh, is an example of how we're trying to be a little bit more open and and try to be uh, a little bit more uh, available to to uh, to explain our story and, and and what we're trying to accomplish here in in, in Canada and around the world. Just a couple more questions here before we end. Uh, we wanted to ask you how you're involved in the local communities in which you operate. So beyond your business operations, do you are you getting involved in philanthropy or charities or volunteerism? Yeah, yeah. The um, uh, we have a number of different key factors. There's hundreds of different ways that, that we are involved in our communities and our, our the wonderful strength of of our company as our people and the, they they. They learn stuff and then they go to our communities and 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 contribute uh, and volunteer in our communities. We have very high levels of volunteerism in our plants and and our, our uh, Michelin emergency response teams serve on many different fire departments in many different ways that way. So it's it's a grassroots kind of thing. But also we have very strong relationships with United Way. Uh, for a number of years now, we've been the number one workplace campaign, number one in the workplace campaign, and. And uh, of course, our long-term, uh, 35, 36-year relationship with um, Special Olympics has been one that is just a very, um, uh, a very valuable uh, for us to be in, involved in such a wonderful organization. And I personally take, you know, a lot of a lot of a lot from my involvement in Special Olympics and and um, 
and, and working with those athletes. So that's another one. We have our challenge education programs in our school systems that will restart and we had to put it on pause for COVID, but we're restarting those again to work with our school systems. Um, we, uh, Nova Scotia Nature Trust, we're very proud as part of our 50th anniversary, we were able to give a significant donation to uh, their Twice the Wild campaign, which creates protected areas in across Nova Scotia. It was eight, eight areas that they were focused on to create these protected areas that they can, they can be around for, for generations. And, and we have the sponsorship of the North American Indigenous Games this summer in, in, uh, in Halifax, and that's a really looking forward to, to that because I think that's, a, that's going to be a great celebration and a great Games for us here in Nova Scotia. So those are some of the, some of the ways that we try to reach out and be a part of a, uh, our communities. Andrew, looking ahead, uh, uh, this is the final question. What are the biggest challenges you see for Michelin uh, in, in Nova Scotia? Well, I, I think it goes back to um, uh, what we talked about, and that's the, the, the rapid revolution that's going on in the automotive sector. And it's our ability to execute our all sustainable strategy, people, planet, profit, and do it in such a way that we're, we're moving forward as fast as we need and the world needs us to move forward. Uh, speed is, is going to be the, the defining factor here. Um, and, uh, and the agility to adapt to these changes. And so our challenges, I think, are we're, we're a fairly significant presence and changing rapidly is not always easy when you're, you know, a big old, big old boat. Um, not a big old boat, but a, a big boat, you know. Um, <laughs> And uh, and turning that turning that boat and, and being as agile as it needs to be, I think is going to be one of our one of our challenges to adapt to that changing marketplace and being a part of it and contributing in the at the speed that our world and our and our customers need us to to uh, to change. So um, I think that's I think that's and, and and we're not different than any other company. I think the world is speeding up; it's not slowing down. So we need to accelerate and, and move faster than we've ever moved before. Well, Andrew, I, I, we really want to thank you for joining us on the Insights Podcast and providing a, a, a better understanding of Michelin and its importance to Nova Scotia. Um, you know, this may be a bit of an exclusive, I think, because uh, we're really proud that you uh, you chose us to to share this information with our listeners. Uh, and uh, I learned a lot today, and I, I, I thank you for that opportunity. We want to wish you continued success. Good. Well, thank you, Don, and thank you, David. It was it was truly a pleasure to be here with you. So thank you for extending the invitation. I'm glad you did. Thanks so much. You've been listening to the latest episode of the Huddle Insights Podcast. You can follow the show and listen to past episodes on podcast platforms like Apple and Spotify. And if you've enjoyed listening, please recommend the show to a friend. Don and David will be back again next week.